And now I have another privilege, and that is to introduce you to one of my great friends, mentors. I consider him a big brother in ministry. Let's welcome my friend, Chris Gepner, to Redemption Hill Church. That was weak. Come on, fam. Why are we so weak on the applauses in this celebration? One more time. This is Pastor Chris Gapner. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris, I met Chris four years ago on a sabbatical. People have been telling me, you need to connect with Chris. You need to get to know Chris. You should see what God is doing in Vermont of all places. Hello. God is moving there, and God called Chris and his uh, beautiful bride, their family, from Miami, Florida to Vermont. That's when you know you've been called by God. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's wild. Uh, but yeah, we're so thankful for Chris. He's, he's poured time into me, into our church, sharing resources, wisdom. And so you are going to be blessed uh, as Chris shares the word of God. Chris, thank you. Thanks, God, brother. Give, yeah. give it to us. Yeah. Don't hold back. Yeah, good to see everybody today. You guys awake? All right, you're awake. Good. I'm glad somebody's awake. Uh, thank you, Pastor Tanner. I want to honor uh, Tanner and, and his family, Marsha. I didn't get to say hi. To, I saw him. There you are. Uh, we just love, I just love you guys. And um, can we just honor the, uh, you know, Tanner and Marsha and their family, the Turley family? We love you guys. And uh, listen, um, what God is doing here, and, and you're in a public school um, this is not normal, right? It's a God thing, the favor that you have here. Don't ever forget that. Because I think what we can easily do is, is forget the favor that God does give us. Amen? And so don't forget the favor that God has given you, even in the summer when we have to start earlier because we don't want the room to be too hot. Can we just get it out there? It's hot in here. Look at the person next to you say, it's hot in here. Well, that's Okay. You're not in South Florida. That's really hot. Just saying, right? I know. Um, so what an honor it is to be with you guys. And um, before we get kind of into today's uh, message, can you just join me? I'm going to invite everybody to place their hands in a posture of receiving. We like to do this in our church. And uh, I just get, you close your eyes, hands in a posture of receiving. And I just want to pray a moment right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us. Lord, let us not be distracted let us not be out of focus, but Lord, let us tune into what you have to say to our lives right now. I pray for my friends that you would prepare our hearts for what it is you want to do here today. Lord, speak through me. Uh, Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill every part of me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know if you guys ever uh, grew up with these, the Magic Eye posters. You guys know about the Magic Eye posters? Anybody know about these? These are trippy and frustrating, okay? Here's why. And I'm going to have somebody on this side come and grab one and just pass it around. Go ahead. Go ahead and pass this around over on this side. And then somebody over here, come and grab this one. Somebody grab it over here and pass it. And you can just look at it. And, tell, and, and here's what you have to do. You have to take the poster and you hold it up and then you draw it out. And then you, you're supposed to see something. I can never see it. Ever. Matter of fact, back in the 90s, um, they used to be in the malls. Remember when there were malls? Remember that? 
The malls were places that people would walk and shop, right? And in the middle of the malls, they would have these little booths. And I remember having the, the Magic Eye poster. And my friend would be like, dude, don't you see it? Miami Dolphins logo. And I'm like, I don't see anything, but it looks just like a bunch of jumbled mess. I can't see it. I can't see. Anybody see what's on the poster over here? Can you see it? Nope. If, when you can see it, raise your hand and let me know what you think it is, okay? If you begin to see it, you got to hold it, and then you kind of pull it away. You let your eyes kind of be a little foggy, and you pull it out, and then you like, supposedly, everybody tells me it's like a 3D image pops. I'm like, yeah, you're crazy, because I don't see it. I think it's a bad joke, right? But here's what it is. When you look at these, uh, these uh, magic eye posters, you're supposed to see something. You're supposed to see something that's magical. It pops. It's 3D. Again, when you see it, raise your hand because I never see it. But here's what we can do. For you and me, where we are called to where we live, we live in New England, right? Sometimes we can look around us and we can miss what we're supposed to see. Let me break down some statistics for you. There's this organization called the Association of Religious Data, and they have archives that they post online, and they update them every so often according to census data. And according to the ARDA, the Association of Religious Data Archives, 3.1% of your county, Middlesex County that you live in, 3.1% of your county knows Jesus. 3.1%. Now, let's be generous. We know statistics like that can be skewed. What if it's 10%? Okay, what if it's 10%? Let me give you some numbers here. If it's 3.1%, that would mean there's 1.58 million souls that are to be claimed in your county. Everybody say, that's a lot. Now, let's just say it's 10%. There's still over a million souls in your county where you live that need to be claimed by Jesus Christ. So let me go back to that question, just like we are with the, the, the magic eye poster. What do you see? What do you see? When you hear those statistics, when you, you, you got one, you see the horses, right? It took some time, but you got it, right? What do you see over here? Anybody, what do you see? A pirate ship. Can we give it up for those who saw it finally? And that's, and you can keep those posts, just kind of, you know, I don't want it to be a distraction. So wherever you are, you can just kind of put them down and, and see them later. Everybody's like, I want to see them, right? But those statistics I just conveyed to you, what do you see? In your mind's eye, when I, when I read those numbers to you, what do you see? What do you see? See, as Christians, as followers of Jesus... We should be compelled, our churches should be compelled to see something very distinct. But I think sometimes, just like the magic eye poster, we just don't see it. We get distracted, we're not focused right. And what I want to help you today, Redemption Hill Church, is to remind you of what we should see. When we look into our community, a community that can be Sometimes a little overwhelming. Our friends who just moved here from Louisiana, I'm so proud of you guys. The Ambrose family, I just blown away when I saw you this morning. I think sometimes you can get kind of distracted by all the things here in this community, in this great city, in this metropolitan area. And I think what can happen is we can see the community, those statistics that I just conveyed to you 
through three different lenses, okay? The first one, this is how you can see your community, is number one, you can see it as a lost cause. When you hear over a million people who don't know Jesus, and you feel the weight of that at work, at school, you, you feel the weight of that when you're driving on the interstate, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can really feel it there. There's all kinds of salutes in this area, right? And so when you see and you hear these numbers, you can see a lost cause quite easily. And I, I, I'd venture to say that there are many in this room who kind of border on that. It's just a lost cause. And, and, and you become a victim. It's like, I'm a Christian and a really lost part of the world in a lost part of the region. Uh, there's over a million people in our county that don't know Jesus, and I'm just a p- small portion. And you can, you can have this lost cause mentality. It's like this. You say, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a victim. I have friends that live down in South Carolina, and there are churches on every corner, and everybody knows Jesus. And when you go out to eat, everybody's praying And everybody says, bless your heart everywhere you go. And they got Chick-fil-A on every corner, Christian chicken, right? And we become victims and and we have that victim mentality. We we have this attitude, it's so hard. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Gosh, it's so hard here. It's so hard living in this region. The distractions are everywhere. The flags that are waving, I'm like, I get confused because they change all the time and I just feel like I don't even know what it means anymore. And I just feel like I'm a victim. Woe is me. It's so hard. And, and, And oftentimes we do this. We look to the Bible belt for pity, don't we? Right? Come on now. Church people, you know how it is. I know this, I'm, I'm a pastor and I work with a lot of pastors, not just regionally, but around the globe and in, in, in our country. And you can easily kind of look to those who maybe seem to have more and say, hey, can you help us? That's woe is me. That is a lost cause mentality. And what we end up doing is we want to create a holy huddle. Just going to have a holy huddle. This church, let's just, guys, let's just hunker down. Let's link arms and have a Bible bubble The world around us is lost, it's so hard, and then the victim mentality takes over. Sadly, many have become victimized by their own calling as followers of Jesus. Look, I've talked to many wonderful followers of Jesus, church people who fall in prey to the victim mentality in New England. Actually, a lot. Let me read a scripture to you from 1 Corinthians to combat this. It says, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. I want you to say these words with me, but thank God. Say it again, but thank God. But thank God for what? He gives us what? He gives us, he gives us victory. He doesn't give us this victim mentality. No, he gives us victory. We have been bought with a price. We have hope in Jesus Christ. Redemption Hill, you are a representation of the family of God and you have victory in Jesus Christ. There's no room for a victim mentality. There's no room for us to say, woe is me. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. And there are a million plus people in your county that need to experience that same victory that you have and that your family has, and that this church community has. There's no room, there's no space 
for the victim mentality. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Give me a flex. Come on, do these, right? Be strong and what? Immovable. Don't cave in. Don't, don't be woe is me. Don't be holy huddle. Don't be Bible bubble. No, we have victory. Let's be strong. Let's be immovable. God has called us to this unbelievable region to live. And we have victory in Jesus Christ. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. It doesn't say Always, you know, kind of temper it down. Let the culture around you just kind of push you down and have that woe is me attitude. No, 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 no. Paul, writing to the Corinthians who had a very difficult time if they were, uh, as Christians, they were in a culture similar to ours. And Paul says that you should work enthusiastically for who? The Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever what? Y'all sleeping? <laughs> Nothing you do for the Lord is ever what? It's never useless. So remember, listen to me. You are victors in Jesus Christ. You are not a victim. You hear me? You are a victor in Jesus Christ. So we can see through that lens of a lost cause. Get caused the distraction, kind of like the, the, the magic eye poster where you're just like, oh gosh, this is a lost cause. I'll never even figure this thing out. We could be persistent, work hard, and look at it as I'm a victor. I've been bought with a price. I have Jesus Christ. Or here's another lens. You can see this region. You can see your community through the lens of a culture war. And this, this is very tempting, by the way. And unfortunately, many Christians lean to this way through social media. And we can see the, the, the million plus people in our community, not as a lost cause, but a war to be won. Well, let me just share something with you. When God called my family from South Florida to, we, we moved to a town called Lebanon, New Hampshire. If you're familiar with Dartmouth College, similar to our context here, Ivy League community, uh, but very small community. And we were from Florida, right? And we moved in, and I'm just kind of a big personality, and I was meeting everybody. And I remember people telling me, like, dude, you should probably just give in now. This is never going to work out for you. Christians, these are Christians, right? And I had one guy say, you know what you got to do? You got to go face to face with the enemy. And it's like, okay. And they're giving me all this advice. And as we kind of worked through our church and we became established, something happened the town in which we lived in and where we were trying to like really establish our church, Lebanon, New Hampshire, the leadership of the town became really combative with our church. You, you think oftentimes it's the church, you know, like saying, we're going to win this war. No, no, they were like, we're going to shut you down. I had a city councilman. She came to me and she says, uh, pastor, I want you to know that we do not want your church in our town. As a matter of fact, we have plenty of churches, and I think we have too many, and we don't want you here. Can you imagine hearing that? That was month four that we had moved here. And, and she's like, we're just going to make sure that you don't have a church here. And I was like kind of stunned by this. And from that, the town, the city of Lebanon, created three city ordinances with us in mind. They changed how parking 
uh, how, how people could park in community environments. They changed how you could have signage in community environments, and they changed how you could have your sound ordinances, all because of our church. And it was because this city councilor saying, we don't want you here. And so she had an alliance in the city government and basically said, we don't want you here. We had contract on a property, free, free market, you think, right? We're going to buy this property. And the city came to us and said, hey, just so you know, you will never, you will never occupy that building. We will make sure you don't. I had a phone call from a high-power constitutional attorney in Washington, D.C., and uh, he, he called me with a good southern punch. And he said, brother, we can win this war. We can do this. They're do- what they're doing is illegal and we can win it. And I just remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He said, Chris, I did not call you to New England to declare war. I called you to reach people. And at that moment was a very defining moment for our church. Where, we were, where I was able to go to our church community because it was in the news in our community. It was, it was a headline. And so we had this low-lying fruit to be able to kind of engage in a war with our community, which, as you know, in New England is a death sentence for a church. Local government is treasured and valued, and we wanted to hold that true, and we didn't want to declare war on our local government. So we decided to back off and say, you know what, we're not going to purchase this property. And within two weeks, I got a phone call from a real estate broker in White River Junction, Vermont, across the river from where we were looking to, to really establish ourselves and buy a property. And she calls me. She says, hey, pastor, I saw the article in the paper. And I want you to know I'm an atheist, but I feel bad for you. <laughs> and I have your property. Meet me at this address. And I met her there. Beautiful eight-acre piece of property between the interstates of 89 and 91, the only two interstates in the whole state of Vermont. And that's the property where our central location is to this day, where we were able to build for the first time on state record a new church building since they started tracking records in 1968. Riverbank Church built a brand new building. Here's what it is. That's not, listen, that's not credit to people. That's credit to God's economy. That's how God works. You see, he did not send us to come here and declare a war. There's a war going on. It's not, we don't have to declare anything. It's a spiritual war. It's happening whether you like it or not. But our existence and our purpose as the church is not to be the war. It's not to be the army. Our purpose is to be God's agents of love and grace in a community that deeply needs Jesus. So the question is, is do you see the million plus people in your community as a culture war that needs to be declared? You see, when we do this, we can ostracize our community. When we begin targeting groups and we see flags and we want to protest and picket and we want to do all the things that honestly, okay, but what good is it going to do in the rescue mission that God has commissioned us to be a part of? I've never, ever, and I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I've never, ever led somebody to Jesus and, and helped them to step into faith by protesting, by being an activist, or even engaging in an argument. Never, ever. And I'm an evangelist. Never seen it. 
but I have seen thousands of people come to Jesus. When I love people, when I share the message of Jesus with people, unashamed, clearly, but lovingly. Here's the thing. There's over a million people in your community that don't know Jesus. You could, you could say, woe is me. And you could, you could be in that space that we spoke of earlier that we're simply just seeing it as a lost cause. Or we can see the culture war and we can say, woe are they. They're, and we're just going to protest, picket, and we're going we're gonna to engage in this culture war till we win. Can I just tell you, we're not going to win the culture war. But we win in the end. It's called heaven. And, and Jesus wins. So let's engage in his rescue mission. It says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, Jesus says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus, I want you to think about this. His goal was to seek and to save and if anybody had grounds to protest, if anybody had grounds to be an activist and a cause creator, it was him. But no, Jesus said, no, 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 I, I'm going to see the woman at the well. If you don't know the story, Jesus takes this, honestly, it was the, it was the, uh, the interstate route that you shouldn't take. He was going through the hood, if you could. You know what I'm saying? And he went through Samaria. The Bible says he had to go to Samaria. He goes to Samaria, finds this well at the right time where this one particular woman was drawing water. Why? Because she was ostracized. The reason she was there at that time was because she was a woman that no other women wanted to be around. Typically, women would draw their water in the morning, not this one. She was drawing it at noon and Jesus shows up on the scene. And you know what he does? He goes and he drinks from her cup and he has a conversation with her that is candid and truthful. He doesn't have a protest sign walking around the, around the, the well saying, woman of well, uh, uh, ill repute, get on your knees and repent. He doesn't stand off to the side of the well and say, until you leave, woman, I'm not drinking of that well. No, he went to the well, drank from her cup, and had a conversation with her. He did not see the world in which he lived, and he was here for 33 years as a culture war and a war on culture to be engaged in. No, he said this, I came to seek and to save, to rescue. And the same Jesus who came to serve and to seek and to save, he says this in John 20 and verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I want you to tune in here, as the Father sent me to seek and to save those who are lost, what does he say? I also send you. you. And who is he speaking to? His followers. I've sent you. Not to engage in a culture war. You're never going to win that. But I, I've called you to do as I did, to seek and save those who are lost, to bring them to the feet of Jesus on a rescue mission, drinking from the well and drinking from the cup of the Samaritan woman. Jesus lived it out, and he was the example for you and me. So we can see the, the statistics. And again, we all know this. We live here. 
You drive on the streets, you go to the schools, you, you live in the neighborhoods, you have neighbors and you know the community. And, and most people in our, in our community don't know Jesus. And, and you can see that as a lost cause. You can see that as a culture war. Or watch this, here's the third lens that I present to you today. This should be the lens that we engage in. It's a great opportunity. We see this as a great opportunity. The fact that your neighbors don't know Jesus, what an opportunity for you to be light in darkness. At work tomorrow, when when you go in, it's an opportunity for you to love somebody who quite honestly maybe has never experienced genuine neighborly love in their life. It's a great opportunity. It's not woe are they and it's not woe is me, it's wow is God. You've given me the opportunity to live right here in the year 2023 in the metro Boston area in Middlesex County, one of the most influential counties in not just America, but the world. You live here and you can say, wow, God, what an opportunity. What an opportunity for me to be engaged in your great work. I get to be a part of the greatest opportunity not in just America, but the world. Holy smokes, what an honor. And I get to be a part of a church, Redemption Hill Church, that is on a rescue mission, reaching people for Jesus. My hope is that's the lens that you see through as you are here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. This is becoming one of my cling-to verses, a reminder to my why. Woe. Everybody say woe. Woe to me if I do not preach. Everybody say preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The word woe here is this idea like shame on me. Or man, what a missed opportunity if I do not preach the gospel. The word preach, you know what it means? Are you ready for this? It it means declare. Which by the way, the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus is a message to be declared. And of course, our lives should match up with that message to be declared. But how will people know what our lives represent if they don't know the message that we declare? Redemption Hill, you have a great opportunity. And my encouragement to you is to see it this way. Where you live, it's no accident. God has you here for such a time as this. I believe we're living in the greatest of times because the harvest is ready. We are found people living in the land of the lost. We we are carriers of great news in a day and age where there's nothing but bad news. We aren't victims. We are victors. We aren't cultural warriors. But listen, we serve the ultimate warrior and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're on a rescue mission. Can I just tell you, your community's waiting. They're waiting. Well, Chris, you don't really know. They're, they're kind of combative. No, 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 listen, they're waiting, I promise you. Hurt, broken, lost, families are crumbling, relationships are disintegrating, people's finances are a disaster. People are searching and looking high and low for anything and everything that can at least give them a a, a taste of, of quench of their thirst, something. And guess what, Redemption Hill? 
you have the answer. And his name is Jesus. Do you see the opportunity? So the question you might have is like, okay, you got me kind of fired up, Chris. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing this through a culture war, okay? Enough of that. We're not going to win it. And, and, and you know what? And there is no, there's no room for woe is me. There's no pity parties. That's what I love about New England. There's very few pity parties. Can I get an amen there? All right. We aren't pity party people ever. We're tea party people. I, that's what happened not too far from here, right? So what do you do? What do you do? Well, Jesus says something really clear in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 35, it says, Jesus says this. Are you ready? I say, wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Look at the person next to you and get like, wake up. Wake up. You know what he's saying? It's like, open your eyes, open your ears, get on your feet and get your hands ready. Wake up. Watch what he says here. And what? Look around, head on a swivel. Any football people, like head on a swivel, remember that? He's like, you got to wake up. Don't be in a slumber. Don't be in the slumber of woe is me. Don't be in the slumber of a culture war. No, no, no. He says, wake up. Look around. Don't miss it. The opportunity's here, Jesus says. And watch this. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Key word is there already. Already. It's, it's ripe, my friends, for the harvest all around us. People are ready to be rescued. And Jesus declares it right here that we shouldn't be asleep, that we should be head on a swivel looking around. Why? Because people are ready for harvest and rescue. So wake up, take notice, and go harvest. That's what we got to do. One million plus people in this county alone that are ready to be harvested. Reject the woes. Embrace the wow. The opportunity is right here. It's ready. Could you imagine? I want you to think about this with me. Could you imagine if just this group of people right here said, you know what, we're taking it. We're so serious about this. We're all about engaging in this incredible opportunity of rescue in Middlesex County. We're all in. If you look back and Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, it was just them. Matter of fact, when Jesus went to the cross, a lot of them scattered. And they, like this whole Jesus movement thing was down to just a handful of people. And that handful of people within, within months and within just a few short years changed the world and flipped the world upside down. Why? Because the fields were ready. The harvest was ready. And God used just a handful of women and men to go and seize the opportunity. And he can do the same in 2023 in Middlesex County. Do you believe that church? Do you believe that church? Do you believe that church? I believe it. So here's a few next steps for you. Number one, I want you to consider 
engaging in the rescue mission practically. Here's how. I want you to have the courage tomorrow or even today or whenever the opportunity arises, because it will, because you're surrounded with people who don't know Jesus, to share your faith with somebody. Could you imagine this? If you uh, were sitting in the, uh, at a restaurant this afternoon and a uh, conversation struck up and you were able to share your faith with somebody, maybe your server, uh, maybe it's at work tomorrow at the, at, the, um, at the break room table and you're able to just share your faith. You don't have to be a weirdo jerk to do that. People are watching you and they see what's going on in your life. So a next step for you is to engage in that by sharing your faith at work, at school, or in your neighborhood. Another next step, secondly, listen, your church needs you to not be a sitter, but needs you to be a server engaged in this. This church is committed to the rescue mission. You meet in a public school for crying out loud. My goodness, y'all have it right here. Where's the prayer team that's here early praying over this school, not just for Sunday morning, but for this school where you have thousands of teenagers walking through these doors any, at any given time, and you're praying these halls, and you're asking the God, the God provider, God provide truth for these students, provide wisdom for these students. That, my friends, is the next step. Engage in your church. Beyond one of the teams, serving in Redemption Hill kids, serve on a team here somewhere, but engage in it. Don't be a sitter, but be a server. That's the next step. Another next step is prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're like, right now I'm kind of in triage, Chris. I'm hurting myself. This message just kind of struck a chord for me and I, and I just need someone to pray with me. Maybe it's even physical. You, you are sick. You have an illness. Well, after our time here in just a few minutes, we're going to have a prayer team available to pray with you. To pray with you. You don't have to be alone. This is a house of prayer. And we will pray with you. But I'll be honest with you. I, I can venture to say that in a room this size with this amount of people, there is somebody in here who needs to take a first step. And that first step is saying yes to Jesus. It's saying yes to the rescuer himself, Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, what does that mean, Chris? How, like, how does that look for me? Well, here's how it looks. It starts with being really honest. Can we be honest in here? We're from Massachusetts. You're honest, right? The Bible says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of God and his glory. Everybody in this room, including me, we've all sinned. And if you're like, I don't know what the word sin means. It's kind of old-fashioned churchy. What does it mean? Here's what sin means. It means wrong doing or missing the mark. It's kind of like this. Um, my parents live in North Carolina, and they have this, this axe-throwing target. You, you guys see those, right? And the target, the center target's small. And that's indicator of perfection when you're throwing the axe. I can seldom hit the center of the target. The word sin means missing the target, missing the mark. And I'd venture to say that everybody in this room would agree, like, yeah, I've missed the mark. I've told lies. I've stolen things. I've slept around. I've been addicted to something. There's something in my heart that's wrong. That's sin. That's wrongdoing. For all 
have sinned. Everybody, me, you, and everyone in between, we've all sinned. And the Bible says we fall short of God and his glory. God is holy. God is perfect. And we're not. We're jacked up. For all have sinned and fallen short of God and his glory. So sin has a consequence naturally, and that is a broken relationship with God. And and maybe you're here today and you feel that. You're like, Chris, you just explained and described where I am with God. I'm like far from him. I feel distant from him. It's like a chasm. It's kind of like a a grand canyon between me and God. Well, that's what sin does. It, It causes a broken relationship with us and God. But you see, the truth also has really bad news. And the truth of us being sinners and being in a broken relationship with God naturally The scripture says this, for the wages of sin, the bad news is this, the wages of sin or the consequence of your sin and my sin is death. 10 out of 10 people die, right? Like impress your friends at parties, there you go. Everybody's gonna die. As a matter of fact, in 100 years, nobody in this room will be alive. I, I hate to be kind of like a negative type, but that's the truth. And the Bible says this, for the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is that we're going to die. You and me will die one day. That's a natural consequence of sin. But here's where it's heavy and significant. Because nobody argues that point of the reality of death. But the great King Solomon, the wisest one to ever live, inspired by the Spirit of God and in uh, Ecclesiastes, says God has drawn eternity on every person's heart. So combine that with the fact that we're all sinners, that we're going to die one day, that we all have eternity grafted and drawn upon our hearts. There was a time in your life when you were younger that that reality weighed heavy on you. You remember that first time that someone in your life passed away and you're like, where are they? And you're like, well, they're, they're got to be somewhere. As a child, we, that comes naturally. As we get older, we get more cynical. And we get overwhelmed with information and we forget about it or we deny it. But the truth is you will spend eternity somewhere. It's written on your heart. As much as you want to deny it now, you know in your heart of hearts that when you die and you will die, you will spend eternity somewhere. And this is the bad news. The bad news is this. When you die and you will die, if your sins have been, not been removed by God, if you have been, not been made right by him, and, and you don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you've not had a restored relationship with God, when you die, you will spend eternity in a literal place called hell. My friends, that's not Chris's story. That's God's truth. So you mean to tell me, Chris, that I'm a sinner, that I'm going to die, And then I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. And then if I haven't had my sins forgiven by God, I'm not made right by him. Then I will spend that eternity in a place called hell. Yes. And that's a problem. But I'm here today to tell you there's good news. Matter of fact, it's not good news, it's great news. It's great news. And here's the great news. Are you ready? God loves you. Watch this. For God so loved the world. And the word world there could be replaced with your name. For God so loved Chris, for God so loved Tanner, for God so loved John, for God so loved the world 
Watch this. Even though we're sinners, even though we're jacked up, even though we're headed and we're destined toward an eternity separated from him, he loves you. He loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave. (laughs) How good is that? He gave his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless, perfect life so that he could go to a Roman cross and pay the price for my sin and your sin. Our lying, our cheating, our stealing, our sleeping around, our addictions. Jesus Christ is the solution to our sin problem. And watch this. He didn't just die. No, Jesus was buried and three days later, he conquered death and hell, kicked the devil in the throat, rose from the grave and says, come to me, all you who are willing, all of you who are burdened, all of you who need light, all of you who need truth, come to me and I will give it to you. But you gotta come to him. That's good news. And my question for you is this. Have you invited Jesus Christ to be your rescuer? Have you invited Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and to give you the gift of everlasting life in heaven? If you have not, I wanna give you the opportunity right now. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite everybody across the room, back to front, side to side, to close your eyes, bow your heads. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. This is a divine moment and you need to honor it. If you're here today and you're like, Chris, I've never said yes to Jesus before. Well, you just explained this good news. I've never responded to that. I've never asked Jesus to be my rescuer. I've never asked Jesus to be my forgiver. I've never invited him into my life. And I wanna do that today. That is the first step that I'm speaking of. And if you wanna do that, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, I'm gonna invite you. Listen, it's gonna require courage. It's gonna require boldness. It's gonna require you to have a sense of like, okay, I'm not fearful. When I count to three, and I get to number three, I'm gonna invite you to courageously raise your hand. Are you ready? One, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, believe. It doesn't say be moral. It doesn't say be religious. It says believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be rescued. Two, today. The Bible says today is the day that you can be rescued. That would be July 16th, 2023. You can mark the moment today that you say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, three, raise your hand right where you are. Chris, I want to say yes to Jesus. Keep your hands high so I can see them across the room. I see hands. Yep. Hands over here. Yep. Right over here. I see hands. There's no shame here. I'm so proud of you. If you have your hand up right now, I see you. Now I want you to see me. Look at me. I'm so proud of you right here. Yes, yes. Right over here. Yes. Right over here. I see your hands. So important. The most important decision you've ever made in your life. So here's what, listen, we're tracking, right? We're tracking. I have a friend I need to connect you with right now. Do you understand me? This is the most important thing you've ever done. And so I have some friends right on the aisles here. I'm going to invite you just to stand up quietly. And we're going to go right to the back to the exits right here. And we're going to help you better understand. Yeah, you can go right back here, right through that door with my friend here. And right on this side, yep, you can go right through there. I saw some folks back here. Yeah, come on down here. And we're going to take some time 
and we're going to be with you and help you better understand what it is to follow Jesus. Is there anybody else? You can go right to the exits. This is such an important moment, and I don't want you to miss it. That's right. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much that your rescue mission is alive now as much as it has ever been in the history of the world. And so Lord, help us to see where you have called us to live as a great opportunity to love people to you, to point people to you. And so God, I pray that you would hear our hearts as we take this time to pray, as we take this time to reflect, use this moment to stir us and prepare us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take the next few minutes. We have our prayer team here and we're gonna sing a song, we'll come to the altar. I love this song so much because it's us saying, I'm gonna come to the place of surrender. Uh, Traditionally, an altar is a place where you take all your stuff and you put it there. You know what I mean? You just take it to the altar. And we're gonna use this front of the auditorium right now as an altar, as a place of surrender, a place to bring our stuff. And there's no better time to do it than on Sundays at church where we're together as a family, a church community. And we have a team here that is ready to pray for you. And the team is gonna worship behind us and with us. So church, I wanna encourage you to mark this moment as followers of Jesus to come to the altar. Bring it to the feet of Jesus.